Titus 1, we're just going to read verses 5 uh, through 9, but we're going to hone in on one verse, that's, or one word that's mentioned in 6 and 7. And it says this, this, Paul's writing to uh, one of his protégés, a guy named Titus, and Titus is on the island of Crete in the Mediterranean, and there are Christians on the island of Crete, but there are no healthy churches that meet sort of the New Testament standard for what a healthy church looks like, and it's going to be Titus's job to put those standards in place. So Paul says this, he says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I've directed you. If anyone is, this is the word we're going to focus on, above reproach, the husband of one wife or a one-woman man, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer or an elder or a pastor, as God's steward, must be above reproach. Again, that same word. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunk or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound or solid uh, doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Um, Now, for me, I have swung between two extremes in my faith journey. There were times in my faith journey where I constantly just felt like such a sinner and was constantly like looking down at myself and wondering, oh, were my, did I do right before God? Were my motives right before God? I just always felt terrible. Anybody ever feel like that? Just constantly terrible. I can't make God happy. I can't do this uh, just right. I can't follow God right. Then there was another extreme that I would have where it was like I was too free. Like I was making God's grace cheap by not worrying about how I was living. It was kind of just saying, I'm a Christian. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I'm going to have a good time this weekend. You know what I mean? And like, so I'm just flying on this other extreme. I had a mentor who used to say moderation is the point that we fly by when we're going from one extreme to the other. We don't do moderation very well. And I think this word, this above reproach, is going to get at the heart of moderation as we follow God, this, uh, as we talk about it this morning. So that word, above reproach, another word for it, I think I wrote it on your sheet, is just blameless. A godly pastor ought to be blameless. And so narrowly, I don't want to lie to you, Paul is saying, uh, he's talking specifically, saying, Titus, when you appoint pastors, find men who are blameless. But then this also is broad, and it's not just something that I've got to live up to, but it's something I think we all ought to live up to in Christ. So what is blamelessness? When we talk about being blameless, there are two ways to look at it, all right? The first way we can look at it is from God's perspective. Now, we're talking about Christians, people who have been born again, people who are followers of Jesus. They've given everything to follow Jesus, and they're part of God's family. And from God's perspective, a Christian, a believer, is blameless. So, Yolan, let me borrow you for just a second, if I may. So, I, all right, so Dan is going to be God. Um, which I'm sure he's going to relish the role for a moment. Um, Dan is just for a moment. We're going to let Dan be God, and I'm going to be me. And and God's and Yolanda's going to be Jesus. Okay, so that's okay too. Okay, so if we look at ourselves compared to God, we feel really terrible. We feel full of blame. But Jesus, in His love and sinlessness, died on the cross for us. So legally, the biblical term is justification. Legally, God in Christ has declared us not guilty. Jesus 
So now when God looks at me, he only sees Jesus. That is justification. Jesus, like a lawyer, stands before God, the judge, while I am on trial and says, by my death and, and, and his faith, I declare J.D. not guilty. He is blameless. That's the word justification. It's God looking at us just as if we had never sinned. We are right. We are righteous. We are blameless in Christ. So you can go sit down now. Good job, Elon. So if you are a type of person who is a Christian but always is wrestling with guilt and feeling terrible, understand that Jesus stands before, between us and the Father, and Jesus says, hey, not guilty, God. I took the guilty verdict. I took the punishment. So a Christian is blameless. They're justified. They're declared legally not guilty. So in the New Testament, you know what Christians are called? They're almost never called Christians. They're almost always called saints. When Paul writes a letter to a church like Ephesians or Philippians, he says, to the saints at Ephesus, to the saints at uh, Philippi, to the saints at a different place, because that word saints just means holy ones. And so from God's perspective, Christians are holy people. And this is actually worth writing down, what I'm going to tell you. From God's perspective, we are holy. So here's, this is big. Identity always precedes behavior. Identity always precedes behavior. In other words, being begets becoming. See, I am free to become something in Jesus, in God, because I already am that something in Jesus before God. Being begets becoming. I used to have this buddy in a previous church, and, uh, and he, he would call me and he would, or text me, and he would often say, man, I'm such a sinner. I'm going straight to hell when I die. And I knew he was a Christian. What that meant was that sort of gave him liberty because he just thought he was such a sinner and he loved to say that. That meant that he could just go get hammered. Like that was a precursor to him just wanting to go get sloppy drunk and to say things that he should have never said. And so he would always say, man, I'm such a sinner. Listen, in Jesus, if you are a Christian, you are not a sinner. You and I are saints. When God looks at us, he declares us holy and blameless before him. So we're not hopeless. We're not going to hell and we're not sinners. We are saints before Jesus. Blamelessness begets blameless living. And that's really important. From God's perspective, you and I, if we are Christians, are blameless before God. And that frees us up to live blamelessly. Now, uh, it's, it's like this. My brother used a great illustration one time. My brother's a pastor also in Georgia. And he said, you know what? He, he, um, he said, it's like putting a crown over someone's head and saying you were meant to reign and rule, but not just setting it on their head, but setting it over their head so they have to rise up to put on the crown. That's what God does for us in Christ. He declares us blameless. He adopts us into his family as royalty. And yet he says, but you are not yet who I made you to be in this life from man's perspective. So I'm going to put the crown here and you rise up to the crown. You rise up to your identity. And so that's blamelessness from God's perspective. Now let's talk about it really, uh, really quickly from a human perspective. From a human perspective, we are a work in progress. <laughs> Some of you, your eyes went, yep. We're a work in progress. I, the other night I was getting on the airplane to come back and um, 
they were doing that thing. I hate that thing where they're like, we need 20 of you to check a bag. You know what I mean? I'm like, if I wanted to check a bag, I would have done that before I went through the TSA part. And so I'm like, I'm not checking a bag. I've got a backpack and I've got a little carry-on bag. And so I'm getting on the plane and uh, the woman comes up to me and she says, sir, I'm going to need you to check that bag. I'm like, I'm good. And she says, no, you're going to need to check that. Well, then um, I'm not being very nice and not being a lot like Jesus in that moment. Like I didn't yell at her. I just wasn't at all kind and gracious. And uh, the lady behind me was like, well, you just got, you know, she's talking me off the ledge. And uh, I start walking down the aisle uh, after they check my bag. And, and I'm like, oh, so my bag's going to be here right here at the, uh, at the thing when I get off. And they're like, no, you're going to have to go to baggage claim. I was like, oh, man. So then I start walking down the aisle. I'm in row seven. And there's five bag compartments between me and my seventh row seat. And I'm ready to, like, lash out. And it reminded me in that moment, I am a work in progress. My life was going to be inconvenienced by about five or ten minutes. And it just reminded me, I wasn't gracious to the woman who took my bag. I was boiling in anger and uh, just really all about me in that moment. And I don't have to look and be like, I don't have to live under the delusion that I'm sinless. But I'm also in Jesus, not the sum total of that one moment. I'm a work in progress. We're a work in progress from a human or self-perspective. We are, the, the word for that, by the way, justification is how God looks at us. The human perspective from us looking back at God is sanctification. We're becoming like Jesus. We're becoming holy. That's what that word means if you've ever heard it in a church. Becoming like Jesus. Becoming holy. It's a process and it does not end. I was being mentored by a man when I was 22 years old, Steve Stevens. And I said, Mr. Steve, uh, I'll be very transparent. Like uh, I said, Mr. Steve, um, I just hope there comes a day where I don't struggle in my heart in any way as a single young man uh, when a beautiful woman walks by me. And he said, well, son, I'm 77 years old. And if you get to that point, you give me a call and tell me how you got there. Listen, there's some things that we're just always going to have to work to put the flesh to death on. It's a privilege to pastor you. And out of that, I know some of your struggles and some of those we will see go away in three to five to ten years. And some of those you may carry all the way to the grave to teach you humility and to help you depend on Jesus. That process of sanctification lasts a lifetime. When we get to Jesus, all our struggles and sins and temptations in eternity won't be there, but in this life, we will wrestle with them. So Paul says a pastor should be living blamelessly. A pastor should be living a life worth copying. That's what you need. Like if God moves you to another city and you go to find a church in another city, if your pastor is not living a life worth copying, you don't want him to be your pastor. Honestly, if he can't meet the biblical standards of a pastor listed in Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3 and 1 Peter 5, you don't want him to be your pastor. He should be living blamelessly, living a life worth copying, not sinlessly. Nobody's sinless. Certainly not me. Come hang around Nat and I, and you will see that we are a work in progress. He should be living blamelessly. Second thing about a pastor should be that he should be unreprovable. He shouldn't, a pastor shouldn't 
should be living in such a way that we can't um, sort of bring him to a moral court and find him guilty. He should be living above reproof. And then the third thing about a pastor, and, and let me say on that, like pray for me. I would appreciate your prayers for me. It's, uh, I'm 41. I started seminary when I was 26. And if I had a class of 50 guys, probably over half of those guys are not in ministry anymore. Because of burnout, financial lack of integrity, moral failure. Guys who I thought were way godlier than me have tapped out. It's hard to walk the Christian life for a long time. One of my favorite books ever is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's hard to do. So I appreciate your prayers for that. And then the third thing about a pastor, a pastor should be without charge or without accusation. It's not just that he's been acquitted, it's that he's not even been charged. If you're a Patriots fan, this week has been very interesting. Mr. Kraft, who we all thought was, and, and may very well be in almost every area of his life, a man of integrity, made a, it would seem, a dumb choice. And now has been busted for it. Now, in court, like everyone should be uh, trusted as innocent until proven guilty. In a court, he may be acquitted. And he may walk away with a not guilty verdict. But the problem is, in the court of opinion, he is no longer not guilty. And the real problem is, his life is no longer free of accusation. So he may be free by acquittal, but he's not free of accusation. And a pastor, to be blameless, a pastor should be living above accusation. That's what you need in a godly leader. And so here's the question I want to ask you, and this is the the linchpin. Is that only for pastors? Should it be that your pastor be living blamelessly, unreprovable, and without charge or or accusation, while everybody in the church is just living like the devil. That's not God's best. That's not God's best. If, if you've got a church where the pastor is living blamelessly, but the church is living like the devil, um, that ch- the reputation that church gets is one of hypocrisy and powerlessness. If you have a church that's living blamelessly, and a pastor who's living like the devil, and I've seen that scenario as well, The church is totally emptied of power, and the community then looks and says, you're being led by a hypocrite. But man, when you hit the sweet spot, when you've got a pastor and a church that are living blamelessly and above accusation, there's power, and the community sort of perks up and watches. And the gospel has teeth to it. And that's what... Uh, that's what a healthy church looks like. And so as we're going through Titus and we're talking about living out the faith together when we've never done it before, understand that God is placing the crown over our heads and saying, come up to the crown, live blamelessly as you follow me. And so let me just share, I think really quickly, five simple ways that, five things that looks like to live blamelessly. One, it's someone who's walking daily with Jesus. A person living blamelessly is walking daily with Jesus, walking in the word. There's um, a, a Bible reading method I learned years ago called SOAP. Uh, it's, 
It's by, it was created by a guy named Wayne Cordero in Hawaii. And basically it says you read about 10 verses and you say, what's one scripture that stands out to me? What are some observations I see in this passage? What are some applications? What should I be doing in light of this? And what are some prayers I'm praying for today? So I, I soap almost every day. Uh, it takes about 10 minutes. If you want to see that uh, a little more like fleshed out, go to YouTube and just look up Soap Bible Devotion or something. And Wayne Cordero will have videos up there teaching you how to do it. They're really great. So uh, you're walking with Jesus in the power of the Spirit, in the Word, and in prayer. Second way that, uh, second thing that will facilitate living blamelessly is just walking in community. The Christian life is too hard to be lived alone. And so we don't enable one another. We don't put guilt on one another that God doesn't. We just walk humbly together with Jesus. Third, we put sin to death, not out of fear or guilt, but out of love and freedom. Now, when Nat and I first started dating, I used to hold the door for her all the time, you know, and I'd buy her flowers and just, we're about to celebrate our 15th anniversary here in a few weeks. And I was reading something earlier this year. It just reminded me, I'd gotten kind of slack on opening the door for my wife. And, um, I don't have to. It's not to say she's weak or I'm the stronger sex or anything like that. It's to honor her and say she has value. So I've begun to open the door again for my wife after a few months of not doing that. Now, do I do that out of fear that if I don't start opening those doors, she may leave me? No, I do that because I love her, because I've been loved by her. It's not to earn her love. It's because she has loved me. It's the same thing. We put sin to death in our life when we see it, when God puts his finger on it. We put sin to death because we are loved and we want to honor God with our life. The third, or excuse me, the fourth way that we can uh, live blamelessly is by trials. Trials will teach us to live blamelessly. Uh, You know how gold is purified? It's heated up to a point of melting and then the, uh, the impurities come to the top and the goldsmith scrapes, so it's been melted, and now it, you scrape away the impurities, and then you let it cool and reharden. And then you put it in the fire again, and more impurities will come to the top. You scrape away the impurities, you cool it. The goldsmith does this over and over and over until he looks at the piece of gold and sees his reflection. Man, sometimes in our life, trials and hard situations are going to seem like we're being melted down or layers of us are being scraped away. And that is God's best for us so that when he looks at us, he will see his reflection. So trials are not something we try to avoid. They're something we look to God in the middle of. And then the fifth way that uh, to see blamelessness sort of come about in our life is that we would live a big mission, that we would live a big mission. I was thinking this morning about the movie uh, Saving Private Ryan, something I read in the Bible and getting ready for today just made me think about that movie. And man, like how foolish to be behind enemy lines and just doing, just clowning around. Like in the middle of war behind enemy lines, we have a sense that we're part of something and we don't want to mess things up. And uh, I would... I think that when we're living a big mission, reminding, God reminding us that he's called us to something, then we're much less likely to clown around. The saddest people that I would see in, um, in churches were the people who had turned it into nothing more than a glorified country club. 
People who are living for a big mission, not just saying, oh, how can I sin less or how can I be more religious, but saying, man, God has put me in the middle of people who need him and I need to love people well. I need to risk, I need to serve the poor and help the marginalized and and love the ones who feel invisible and forgotten. Doing that frees us to live a big mission. And so I think that when we do that, then we're less inclined to go live below reproach and find ourselves in a place of uh, being accused. So let me, um, let me pray.